during the the spree, he moved away from the imitation firearm this time and started threatening staff with a, a fucking carving fork. A carving because fork? one of them big things where you... Yeah. I don't know. I'd rather have an imitation gun because those yeah. things kind of scare the hell out of me. <laughs> Hello and welcome to History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which we give you examples of human fuck-ups from all of history, people who made the biggest mistakes possible and give you lessons from their experiences so you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. It's fun and we do it all the time. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing good, man. Awesome. Good week so far and uh, ready to ready to jump into this and yeah. talk about some idiots. Oh yeah, you got some Egypts. Nice. Um, how's how's Arizona at the moment? Is it still as hot as the surface of the sun over there? Yep, still on fire, uh, <laughs> both in temperature and the forests. Oh no, well, I mean, you got deserts. forest fires going on there. Well, they're not really forests so oh. much as it's like Shrubbery. the tumbleweeds are all on fire. Out oh there. okay, <laughs> rolling past. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've um, so. Sorry, I was going to say we've had a, a kind of a mixed week here in the UK. We've had thunderstorms today, so that's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, we actually, yeah, we got clouds rolling in here too, man. Nice. It's just it's a hundred degrees with clouds. It's gross. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a bit of rain. You know, that would really yeah, help you guys out. Um, no kidding, yeah. it, dude. The heat is everywhere though, because mm. they're throwing out record numbers, like one hundred and sixteen degrees in Jesus. Canada. The power lines and stuff are melting in Seattle because they had over 100 degrees consistently, like, all week long. It's crazy. In the Pacific Northwest, when the Pacific Northwest is hot, you know things yeah. are fucked up, right? Yeah, well, it, but, hey, climate change doesn't exist, though, man. I wonder if, um, no, of course it doesn't, if you taught <laughs> some Republicans. Um, I wonder if, if Seattle had been warmer and more temperate, do you think Kurt Cobain might have been more relaxed in his life? Do you think we would have had grunge? If Seattle 25, 30 years ago had been cooler, uh, hotter even. Oh, it would have been angry grunge then. Yeah, it would have been dirty, stinky grunge. Not that it wasn't anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Really pungent grunge. (laughs) Sticky flannel. Oh, God, could you imagine the flannel flannel with them on? Yeah, maybe if it wasn't cool, it wouldn't. Have, they wouldn't have had flannel. It would have just been cotton tees. Yeah, it would have still yeah. been gross. I just have a, I just have this image of like if Seattle had been warmer, like we'd have Nirvana would have been like the Beach Boys, just like fucking probably. That I wish they all could be Seattle girls or some shit like that. You know, <laughs> a more <laughs> sunny disposition. Yeah, that cloudy. But then again, instead of heroin, it would have been acid. So, you know. Could have been real interesting if the you know had a Beach Boy feel on acid. Oh yeah, that, I'm awake. <laughs> no, never mind. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Beach, beach Boy's doing acid. Um, I don't, I, I'm glad. I mean, did Brian Jones do acid? Or I'm not sure. I mean, I I'm not real into that generation mm. area of music, but. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows the car commercial ones, though. Yeah. The ones they use for TV. But cool. I, yeah, I just imagine in the middle of one of the songs, if they're on acid, they just <laughs> stop singing and it'd be like. <laughs> Start like touching the walls. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, my hands are so big and scratchy. <laughs> Do you imagine? <laughs> yeah, like the Beach Boys on acid. I mean, it, it fucked up Sid Barrett so much that Pink Floyd's career traje- trajectory sort of changed. When Sid Barrett basically lost his mind because he did too much acid, but like the the Beach Boys, 
I don't even want to imagine the kind of insanity we would have had. Pet Sounds 2 would have been quite the experience had they been on acid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Arizona's on fire. England is raining and being far too warm interchangeably, so global warming's a thing. Um, But away from that, let's get to this week's first idiot. And um, as, as ever... Sorry, that was wind. Um, We haven't told each other who our idiots are, but we've kind of given each other hints. So all you've told me is that this person is an English career criminal. So that's that's really cool. So, Derek, please tell me who your idiot for episode 12 is. Okay, so we all know folks that are bad at their jobs, right? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, I've worked with plenty of them. They seem to exist in, like, every profession. Oh yeah, and I like I like to think that in most cases though they'll learn and get better, yeah. or stop trying altogether. One of the two. Yeah, like experience typically makes people better, or or they get found out, you know, something like right. that. Right, right. Yeah. The gentleman I present to you today is spectacularly dreadful at his chosen <laughs> profession, and unfortunately, he fancied himself a career criminal, oh. and while he did have a career in crime that dated all the way back to 1977 he wasn't very successful with it because he failed to get away with just about any one of his crimes wow okay can't wait to hear this is he's born in or around london in 1958 okay not much known about his early life but by march of 1977 at the age of 19 Mm -hmm. he was appearing in court before the bristol crown court for the first time in his life, on the count of robbery. Bristol, okay, cool. So that's actually where my wife's from. So, yeah, she may know this person. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. She hasn't worked at any uh, banks or um, bookies. What do they call them there? Uh, Sorry, what are they they called? Like a bank or a a bookie? Yeah, so we've got got, um, banks and building societies, typically. Yeah, there you go. Those ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for. He he liked to rob those, so if she was involved or in around that, maybe she has come across yeah, this guy. Maybe her parents knew of this. Uh, yeah. But, but please go on. Bristol Crown Court, 1977. He's convicted of robbery and sentenced to three years in prison. All right. And he did part of that sentence. And looks like he may have been released early or paroled right. because he got out in 1979, okay. and within a few months... Gave robbery another try, ah. and by June of 1979, he was back before the court, this mm. time in Swindon Crown Court. Oh, he's made his way up. they sentenced him to seven years in prison for his robbery of the, um, sus- what, what is that called? Society buildings? or Building, building society, so yeah. Called. Yeah, typically. Okay. Yeah. Not a great place to uh, rob, to be honest. They don't have a lot of money on them, building societies. Well, he, so. he had a knack for not actually getting money most times when he did <laughs> when he did the robberies so 79 uh seven years he gets released in 1986 and it seems like maybe he might have thought about getting away from crime for a little while because good not much came up from him until uh 1993 All right. yeah. when he thought okay i'm going for banks maybe they're going to be easier <laughs> in the 90s and, no yeah yeah <laughs> He's not a smart man, I don't think. No, he isn't. And so he thought the best way to rob 
these banks would be to just say he had a gun and uh, put down a bag and then slide another bag over and say, fill it up. All right. And he just, he, he, he went into two different banks in 93, said he had a gun and was arrested shortly after the second one okay. um, where he made off with just about nothing because <laughs> they were like, no. And he was sentenced to six years for those two bank robberies sure. in 1993. I mean, I guess they can't prison. do him for armed robbery because he wasn't armed. So, just robbery. Not not that time. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, another bank robbery came up. It may have happened before they caught him for the second one. Um, or may may have happened before he was put in prison in 93. That's, that's okay. what I meant. Because nice. in July of 97, he's back before the court facing robbery charges and having an imitation firearm, oh. which was related to the two of the three robberies. Wow. And this time he's, he, he got sentenced to 10 years to be cons, uh, served consecutive with the original 1993 sentence. Wow. Okay. And once again, shortly after he gets out of prison in, uh, what's that, 2000-something, he decides he wants to go on a crime spree because he's got a gambling debt that he needs to pay. Okay. Um. <clears throat> oh, I lost my place. That's okay. Ahaha, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on this 12-day crime spree, mm -hmm. and he, he makes off with nearly 10,000 pounds. Probably his most successful go-at-crime so far. But yeah. He still gets caught and snatched up and charged with three robberies and an attempted robbery <sighs> in that whole shenanigans. But yeah. during the, the spree, he moved away from the imitation firearm this time and started threatening staff with a, a fucking carving fork. A carving because fork? One of them big things where you, yeah, I don't know. I'd rather have an imitation gun because those yeah. things kind of scare the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> carving fork. So, Apparently he's. I don't know. It would have been cooler if it was a pitchfork. Yeah. That would. That would have. I would have had a little bit more respect for him if if he would have used a pitchfork because then he could have just said he was the <laughs> devil and then it would have been a whole thing. <laughs> but the carving fork made him more memorable and attracted more attention, and he uh, ended up back in court in 2007 and was sentenced to another nine and a half years. Okay. Now, again. I'm not sure if he got out earlier, if it was something related to the spree, but in 2012, he was in court uh, one more time for robbery, and apparently that time, uh, somewhere along the line, he targeted the Royal Bank of Scotland. Okay. And in that robbery, he once again went back to the old guns-in-the-bag trick. He put a carrier bag on the counter with a thud, <sighs> slid it over, and then pushed over an empty one and said, fill it. And she freaked out. And started filling it before she hit the silent alarm. He made off with all of 460 pounds. Wow. And that got him another six six years. Yeah, no surprise. <laughs> so he's in and out of prison, and it repeats itself one last time in 2018 where he said, hey, that crime speed was fun. I'm going <laughs> to set off on another multiple-day crime spree. And it was a really bad one this time sure. that you might have heard in the press. Somewhere between November 23rd and December 3rd, he attempted to rob six banks okay. and a building society. 
Jesus. It included the Royal Bank of Scotland again <laughs> on High Street in Prescott and okay, a well. Lloyd's on Eccleston Street. All right. But the effort didn't go well at all this time because he just is a jackass. And by this time, <laughs> he's an old man. He's in his 60s now oh. going in there and trying to rob him with his fake bank or his fake gun at the bank. <laughs> Not a fork um, this time, thankfully. No, it's it's actually a gray hairbrush uh, <laughs> that's taped up and kind of just sticking out of the bag. What? So it would have been smart if he drilled into yeah. the hairbrush so it looked like there was a barrel, yeah, but he didn't a... even do that. He just <laughs> taped around it. <laughs> wow. Um, he didn't get any money from any of the attempted robberies in this 2018 spree. Um Oh, I take that back. Royal Bank of Scotland gave him 500, 500 pounds, and he took off with that. Week's wages. And it nice. turns out, yeah, once <laughs> once again, it turns out he had a gambling debt that he needed to pay. Oh. So turns out he's shit at robbing things and gambling. <laughs> oh, my God. It, uh, it may have not been a successful crime spree because it turns out he was wearing a scarf over his face that was kind of a heavy scarf, and sure. it covered his mouth. And m- most of the cashiers and tellers said they couldn't tell what the hell he was trying to say <laughs> before he just kind of... What? <laughs> Put the money in the uh, bay? bathroom's over there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So in most of those cases, he got frustrated and turned around and left because they couldn't understand him. Um, when he did try to use that gun hairbrush <laughs> thing, it did work. Then she... Um, no, it didn't work. Mm. It was at one of the bookie places, and the teller, actually, this is the best part, not only refused to give him the cash, but told him to sod off. Uh, I, I, so, uh, sorry, when you said it did work, I would have been like, holy shit, this guy's a magician. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? His hairbrush fires a bullet. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, oh, it's the the hair from the drain clog. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Those things are gross. Uh, but that doesn't surprise me about money. bookies because they fuck me. They deal with drunk, you know, gambling addicted assholes all day. So yeah, you point something that looks nothing like a gun at them. Even if you point a gun at them, I'll probably say, oh, "Fuck off," you know. Right. My experience from the bookies over there in your neck of the woods mm. is from I think the movie Snatch and oh, God. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. And accurate. They kind of seem like badasses. Oh yeah, they are. They don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're making minimum wage. They don't have time for your bullshit. So, you know. <laughs> so he sucks once again yeah. and doesn't make anywhere near enough to cover his gambling debt and turns himself in and is when he's arrested, um, he says that if he would have been more successful and hadn't gotten caught, he was on to St. Helens next. Uh, and he, he went on to say that he was sorry if he'd caused any sort of distress to the staff or establishments that he tried to rob, which mm. I'm not sure any mm. most of them didn't even know they were being robbed. No. But I guess he's sorry. And which this time good. the judge d- decided to show him some mercy, but not because he said he was sorry. The judge decided against giving him a life sentence merely yeah. because he was so bad at his job. <laughs> the The judge was quoted as saying... You are 61 years of age, and although for some activities you might be described as being in the prime of your life or not far beyond it, robbery is not the activity of a man your age should be devoting your attention. No. Fortunately, you're not very good at it. (laughs) 
and I make it quite clear that if you'd been more successful, you would have been facing today a discretionary life sentence. Oh, yeah. Um, that was Judge Clement Goldstein, and he just, that was kind of a cool... God bless Clement, because... Like, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> You're crap at your job, so I can't give you a good sentence, so... <laughs> but he did he did sentence him to 12 years, Fuck. eight of which needed to be served in prison, and four on license, which I'm not sure what that means. So I tried to look into it, but it was confusing. Um, in the UK, if you're sentenced to eight years or more, um, you serve two-thirds of that sentence. Um, anything below that, you serve half. So you'll serve half okay. in prison and the other half outside, but if you get eight years or more, you will do you know, six years and then two years on license. So when you're on license, it's like parole, right? So okay. you basically, you violate your license, your parole, straight back to prison, like no fucking about. And that can be anything as straightforward as missing a, a parole meeting or, you know, getting a parking ticket and not paying the fine, oh, shit like that. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And, um, you know, it, I know there's a big deal made in uh, America of like the fact that you have a huge prison population it's as bad in this country in terms of percentage of population head we have far too many people in prison in this country for crimes they probably shouldn't be in prison for and also the prison system in this country is even less effective than it is in America at rehabilitating people so I, I it clearly shows with this guy because he's going to yeah. prison time and time again, and he just keeps on reoffending. So, really, what he needed was some sort of uh, assisted living where he could learn skills and potentially get a job, and you know, yeah. be taught the basics of like looking after yourself and having a home, making and stuff. smarter bets. Yeah, exactly. Not going to a bookies. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. try the slot machines. You might actually be halfway decent at something that involves completely fixed random chance as opposed to skill, yes. because he's clearly got no skill. No, no skill at crime, no skill, skill at gambling. Uh, he's so. currently serving the sentence as we speak. Yeah. Uh, I present to you him, uh, he was dubbed the world's worst bank robber oh, yeah. by some in 2000, I think it was 2019 when he was finally sentenced. Uh, Mr. Terrence Cole of Liverpool. Terry Cole. Uh, one of history's greatest idiots. Oh yeah, for sure. I've 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 actually never heard of this guy, even though it's like kind oh. of my neck of the woods. It's just it's one of those things where a, a lot of crime reporting in this country is kind of done on a local level. So you'll hear about like oh so and so. You know, it's not it never rarely makes national news. Uh, okay. Kind of the the news in this country before it became sensationalized. Thank you, Mister Murdoch. <laughs> um, was pretty much. Um, it's all international focus and international affairs and politics and developments and stuff. You rarely hear about there was a high-speed chase on stuff. You have to get that from the local news. Um, okay. This kind of thing, however, will have made the news for a different reason because occasionally, you know, you get at the end of the news programs, you get, and finally, here's a the story of a cute puppy that climbed up a tree and was rescued by <laughs> Superman or some, you know, those kind of fluff pieces that they use to like, we've just talked at you for half an hour about death and the impending doom and you've bought everything we want, but here's something to send you home happy. You know, that's that kind of piece. He will have been one of those. And here is the worst robber of all time. And boy, does he yeah. sound like it. Uh, yeah. I think it's something around six 
19, 18 failed robberies. That's ridiculous. Because usually... Like, like, from 1977 to 2018, he made 10,500 pounds. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he could have worked minimum wage and made five times that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was getting the free housing and meals, I suppose. I, I guess so. Saved himself a fortune. Um, <laughs> I just, with this guy, um, he is a classic idiot. And I do like a classic idiot. You know, he is a complete failure at yes. what he's doing. And he does not stop. He just keeps on going at this uh, mission of his, this kind of self implosion that seems to happen. It is sad in a lot of ways. Um, the thing that's the saving grace is that um, in this country, armed robbery is a very serious crime. I mean, we, we kind of have our sentencing guidelines are very different than America. I know a lot of things there get very long sentences, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we tend Drugs. not to get that. Like a life sentence in this country is usually 18 to 25 years. Like that's life. Okay. After you've done that, you're up for parole and you might get out first, second, third, fourth, fifth attempt. Sometimes you get people who are given sentences of life without the possibility of parole because they've killed someone or a whole life sentence, and it's such a gruesome murder that there's no way that they want to let them out into public. Um, the, armed robbery in this country gets you a life sentence. Um, it's one oh. of the few that does. And he probably would have been looking at, had he been found guilty, he probably would have been looking at 12 to 18 years for armed robbery. But because he was so bad and was never really armed, except for a fucking fork or something. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of gone away with it. He's gotten these kind of ridiculous sentences. So in terms of scoring, he's a, he's a... I do like a classic idiot. I'm really finding a core for these. <laughs> I'm going to say he's a 75. Um, All right. Because he didn't kill anyone. He didn't... No. I mean, I'm sure psychologically he's harmed people. Right. And he may have like he's harmed his family and his friends from, you know, yeah. his life and stuff, which is never great and that's really not good. But he's so unsuccessful at what he did. Um he can't possibly rank higher than say your mass murderers or stupid people who cost lives, you know. He's but right. he's great. I, I do like like this guy. Terry Terry Cole was it? Yep, Terence Cole. Terence Cole. 61. There's, there's no way anyone in Liverpool called him Terence. In Liverpool, it went, hey, Terry? Yeah. All right, Terry. Terry. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, maybe his mum. But yeah, <laughs> Terence Cole is a 75. Uh, what a classic idiot. And clearly, we don't build bank robbers like you guys do in America. I mean, you've got like um, almost heroic level bank robbers from the 1930s and 40s you know some of those guys were were lionized it's amazing yeah the the old day robbers jesse james and dillinger the, the and, West and everything oh yeah honestly they make great movies yeah it might have been scary um if you were a cop in most cases they they didn't shoot a lot of civilians i think machine gun kelly yeah was bad mm. at that sort of thing yeah and hurting civilians but i think a lot of the times, like in America, they just wanna root for the underdog, and they yeah. can understand. Sometimes you feel like you've been under pressure, and sure. you just snap, and you need to. But yeah, I don't know. This dude just is laughably bad. Yeah. So I, th I, 
I would probably like this guy if he was over here. And yeah. Like, this jackass. You idiot. <laughs> Again, um, you know, the funny thing is, is that in this country, pretty much the only famous existing criminal who's had a, a film made about his life, what would you call a consi- a, a, an actual criminal, is Charles Bronson or... Yeah. yeah, or Charles Darley. I don't know what he calls himself these days. That man is terrifying. and Oh, yeah, he's nuts. He is, <laughs> he is a dangerous, dangerous man. And the film made about his life is brilliant. Um, it's hard to watch at times, but it yeah. is fucking amazing. So if anybody's out there, go and watch Bronson. If they ever make a film about Terry Cole's life, um, I think it's going to be, gonna a, be laugh, a, it'll be a farce. If if we can resurrect <laughs> Benny Hill and put him in the role, <laughs> that would be perfect. There we go. Um, so right on. I know. I'll take a seventy-five. That's a good seventy-five one. is a good one. Now my idiot this week is actually probably the the smartest idiot we will have ever had in terms of qualifications, in terms of okay. power, like. The network of people he knew and that knew him, he is up there with the most powerful people we've ever had. Uh, And I'm talking presidential level power here. The person I'm going to cover today is an American businessman who is responsible for one of the most famous catastrophes in financial history. I'm going to tell you the story of Ken Lay, the man who knew everything and did nothing. And I just got to start with his name because he's got a great name. Kenneth Lee Lay. So his middle name is Lee. His parents were cruel. Ken Lee Lay was born in, this is really confusing, in the... T- Sounds Hawaiian. Ken Lee Lay. Uh, he was born in the Texas County, Missouri town of Tyrone. That That's a lot of shit. Okay. I don't even know if we're in Texas, Missouri or wherever the fuck Tyrone is, but he was born there. Um, Sounds like probably Missouri, but yeah, they do dumb shit like that. Yeah, it's Missouri County in Texas State, and <laughs> it's so confusing. Uh, Arizona City. There you go. <laughs> um, the son of Omer and Ruth Omer. That's like a proper. That's like a hillbilly name, right? That's that's what it sounds like. Omer Zebekiah. Yes. Yeah. Shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Omer and Ruth um, Lay. Lay's father was a Baptist preacher and Lay grew up in poverty after the family's general store failed. Later in Lay's childhood, his family relocated to Columbia, Missouri, and Lay attended David H. Hickman Hickman, High School and the University of Missouri, where he studied economics, receiving a Bachelor of Arts in economics. Uh yeah, that's confusing. They do the bachelors weird, yeah. like because there's bachelors of science, yeah. and arts would like finance and business falls under art. That's so weird. I guess you think they'd have a different school for that, and, you know? Yeah. Well, and then they got uh, bachelor of applied science too, mm. which is more specified. Manage it. I don't know. None of it makes any sense to me because they have arts bachelor of arts in. Things that I wouldn't consider an art. No, absolutely. Like um, finance. It's finance. It's not art, <laughs> and unless you're this guy. Uh, there's an art to what he did. Um, so he got a Bachelor of Arts in 1964 and a Master of Arts in Economics in 1965. The next year, it's it a very condensed master's wow. degree. Yeah. Dude is smart. Let's, let's not Damn. beat about the bush. Like Ken sh- Lay is, is swift and smart 
and slippery as a fucking eel, as we're about to find out. Um, <laughs> he served as president of the Zeta Phi, or Pi, I guess, it's Pi, chapter of the Beta Theta Pi fraternity at the University of Missouri. Ole Miss. That's a mouthful. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of <laughs> Greek alphabet letters there. Um, he earned a Doctor of Philosophy in the economics, sorry, in the economics, Doctor of Philosophy in Economics from the University of Houston in 1970. So he was a Doctor okay. of Philosophy in Economics, which... That's... How do you get a Doctorate of Philosophy in Economics? Something. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it be the Doctor of Economics Philosophy? Surely, something like that. Uh, and it, was he studying, like, Karl Marx down there? Because, like, Philosophy of Economics, that's, like... That's, yeah. that's Karl Marx territory. I mean... I've got a thing here that I, I don't know what you got going on, son, but down here in Texas, we love the Lord, we love our country, and learning about the dictatorship of the proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine yeah. in Texas, like, get your shit together and study Karl Marx. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were doing. Well, it, no, it was the 70s, you said, right? Yeah, 19, well, 1970, so, yeah, kind of just after Fremont disaster, so the end of the hippie movement, more or less. Yeah. I was going to say there were some communists in the 60s. That's true, Dallas. there were. I mean, obviously the Red Scare was, you know, it was a horrible thing that cost people lives and careers and stuff, but there were genuine communists floating around in America, just not as many as MacArthur, McCarthy, McCarthy right. thought, you know. Yeah, yeah. Dude, he went a bit too far. That's em embarrassing. Yeah, part of American history, right there. Don't worry, we've got plenty of that over here as well. It's just older. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> uh, he worked at Humble Oil as an economist from 1965 to 1968 in the corporate planning department. In 1968, Lay entered the Officer Candidate School for the United States Navy, where from 1968 to 1971 he rose to the rank of lieutenant and was the special assistant to the Navy Comptroller and Financial Analyst at the Office of um, Assistant Secretary of the Navy in the Department of the Navy at the Pentagon. I got there in the end. Good Lord, this guy likes words attached he to his name. He does. Also, <laughs> Comptroller, love that word. It's it's such yeah. bullshit. <laughs> like, make your mind up. Are you a computer or are you a controller? You know? <laughs> do you add or do you control things? Exactly, you know? Uh, the important part of that sentence, though, at the Pentagon. So, yeah. he's... Um, he's... Um, a connections... In a position to do something. Yeah, this dude is getting around. Uh, if you're going to fuck over millions of Americans in the future, having some connections in the Pentagon might help you a little bit. Um, yes. Absolutely. From 1971 to 1972, Lay worked as a technical assistant to the commissioner and vice chairman, a federal energy regulator, of the Federal Power Commission and served as the energy deputy undersecretary for the United States Department of the Interior until 1974. So already at 30, this dude is connected, you know? Damn. He's... I feel like a failure that's <laughs> so much done by 30 well he's already got a doctor's philosophy yep. economics masters he's worked at the pentagon and he, and he weaseled his way into the energy oh yeah having been involved in humble oil mm -hmm. mm. and Interesting. this is this is where it all starts to get even more intense 
1974, he returned to the business world as an executive at Florida Gas Transmission and was president of Continental Resources from 1981 to 1982. In 1982, he joined Transco Energy Company, owner of the Transcontinental Pipeline in Houston, and held the position of president, chief operating officer, and director until 1984, when he became chairman and CEO of the Houston Natural Gas Company. Uh, by the time energy was deregulated in the 80s, Lay was already an energy company executive, and he took advantage of the new climate when the Omaha-based Internorth bought his company Houston Natural Gas and changed the name to Enron. Enron. That's right. Yep. Here we are in 1985. <laughs> um, he was also a member of the board of directors from 1993 until 2001 of Eli Lilly and Company and a director at Texas Commerce Bank. In 1996, he held negotiations to replace Robert E. Allen as the CEO of AT&T. This dude. Ooh. Man, AT&T is another one of those companies that kept getting involved into Monopoly and yep. antitrust stuff and breaking it apart and coming back together. I know. And now they're doing it again. I don't know how they're still going. Like, hey. It's crazy. It's <laughs> the, the antitrust I don't know stuff. how you get... Go yeah, I don't know how you get broken apart in the antitrust stuff and then you come back and all of a sudden AT&T owns all of the uh, wireless companies I know. now. I know. Capitalism's broken. Sorry, wandered off. No, no, no. You're quite right. <laughs> it's insane how antitrust and anti-monopoly stuff. Which I think the anti-monopolies thing that was like, uh, wasn't that the first president um, Roosevelt? Um, yeah. yeah, he was. FDR. FDR was 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 in. Uh, oh, the second, I guess. Uh, yeah, that whole um, breaking up and, of monopolies and stuff, that was one of the big things. Um, so now we get to the really powerful buddies section. Lay was a friend of the Bush family. Um, yep. Yep. Including former President George H.W. Bush. Um, he, he made monetary contributions, led several committees in the Republican Party, and was co-chairman of Bush's 1992 re-election committee. Boy, did that work out well. Um, wasn't he one term? Uh, Bush yep. Sr.? Yep. Can't all be winners. No. <laughs> Republicans yeah. are very good at doing one-term presidents, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, Bush. God, I wish Jr. more of them would all do one terms. Yeah. Just change them out like the dirty diapers. Exactly. They are. Yeah. Just do what they did in ancient Rome and give them a year. That's enough. Um, as president, Lay flew Bush and his wife to Washington. Barbara Bush and her fucking fucking Barbara Bush, fucking buff Barbara Bush, and beat the shit out of anyone. Um, including former president. Sorry, I've gotten lost now because I got <laughs> sidetracked by Barbara Bush and her gigantic muscular frame. Um, yeah. In December 2000, Lay was mentioned um, as a possible candidate for either United States Secretary of Energy or Secretary of the Treasury under George W. Bush. So, well, that sounds dangerous. There. That really He's does the head sound of dangerous. An energy company. I know he's gonna... like he's still in the private sector. I don't think he should be involved in uh, public finances or public office. Yeah. Um, I wonder who's going to get some contracts. I know. Um, however, <laughs> this is funny. He was not nominated because it was decided by the administration that the administration already had included too many energy businessmen from Texas. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, we've already got too many yeah. people that shouldn't be doing it in here. Bush's W's um, <laughs> chief of staff is like, excuse me, Mr. President. Uh, just hear me out on this. Um, it would be a really good idea if we hired someone who hasn't been round to your house for a barbecue. Just anybody else. 
that isn't involved in that world might be, you know, and nobody that's tainted by Arbusto. Can we just stay away from that, please? Um, yeah. Yeah. Keep it more neutral. Can, can we hire someone from, you know, above Texas for a change? Uh, <laughs> Lay additionally had friendly relations with uh, the Republican politicians uh, Gerald Ford, Dick Cheney, and James A. Baker III. No idea who the fuck that is. Uh, is he famous? Uh, Jim Baker. Jim ba- oh, Jim Baker. I, I recognize that name, yeah. sort of. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's... Is he like a career politician? Dick. Just another rich asshole. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, rich white <laughs> asshole. He's got to be a Republican politician. Um, as well as the Democratic politicians, Bill Clinton, because everyone fucking knows Bill Clinton, and Ann Richards. Again, no idea who you are. Sorry, Ann. Um, your career was for naught because some ginger Welshman doesn't know who you are. Um, <laughs> um, he encouraged John Ashcroft to campaign in the 2000 Republican Party presidential primaries, although this was partially to ensure him as a spoiler candidate to help Bush win the race. What a prick! Yeah. You wow. should run. You should That's run. That's not a good friend. Doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Oh. You're doing great, <laughs> Ash. Holy shit. From 1989 to 2002, Lay's political contributions totaled $5.8 million. Fuck. Man, can I get a taste? Yeah, just Just I'm I'm starting a party. Yeah, I'm going to run for office. (laughs) Can I have a few hundred quid, please, Ken? Uh, You can't give it to me now. Uh, With 73% of his money going to the Republicans and 27% going to the Democrats, from 1999 to 2001, he gave $365,000 to the Republican Party. Um, My takeaway from this is that he played both sides, basically. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, he was in it for himself. Oh, yeah. Whoever was (laughs) likely to be his friend, he wanted them to have all of the monies. Um, Now let's get to the really famous stuff. Um, I'm gonna. I've made a huge list here. I'm gonna skip over stuff that probably isn't as relevant. 1985, um, Enron is born. Ken Lay becomes CEO of the combined company the following year. 1989, Enron begins trading natural gas commodities. 1990, Ken, hi- uh, Ken hires Jeffrey Skilling to lead the company's effort to focus on commodities trading in deregulated markets. Andrew S. Fasto is one of Skilling's first hires later that year. These are names that are going to come up. They're going to be quite important. Okay. Richard Causey leaves Arthur Anderson LLP to join Enron as assistant controller. Not comptroller, controller. That's, that's made me really sad now. Skilling named president <laughs> and chief operating officer of Enron in 1997. Um, Fasto creates Chuco a partnership to buy the University of California Pension Fund stake in another joint venture dubbed Jedi. But Chuco doesn't meet requirements to keep off Enron's balance sheets. Uh, first step towards similar financial moves to high debts and infiltrate profits that fuel Enron's downfall. Fuckers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fast, 1998, Fasto named finance chief. 1999, Causey named chief accounting officer. He is elbow deep at this point. Fasto creates the first of two partnerships. LJM purported to buy poorly performing Enron assets and hedge fund hedge risky investments, but really helps the company hide debt and inflate profits. So they're lying through their teeth. Yeah. yeah. 
Just making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> the, how, Dude, you, we're doing great. We're fine. Look at us. Look at all these numbers on a piece of paper. Um, Enron directors approve Fasto's plan that he run the partnerships that do deals while Enron continue... Uh, well, sorry. With Enron while continuing as Enron's finance chief. Conflict of interest. The uh, the financial people will not like that. Causey, the former yeah. chief risk officer um, and former chief risk officer, Rick By, awesome name. Um, so his name is Dick By. That's just, I love that. <laughs> and By as in B-U-Y. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, amazing. It sounds like a porn you know, star name. Dick. Yeah, Dick By. <laughs> Uh, by who? Uh, assigned to monitor <laughs> such deals to protect Enron's in protect Enron's interests, which, and this is where it all goes a bit crazy. Two thousand Enron shares price share prices reach a record high of ninety dollars. Enron announces that Skilling, then president and chief operating officer, will succeed Kenneth Lay as CEO in February 2001. Lay will remain as chairman. The stock hits a 52-week high of $84.87. August 2001, Skilling resigns as CEO, and Uh Ken is uh, named CEO again. So he lasted eight to nine months in that job and then was out the fucking door. I wonder why. Because he could do math, I bet. Yeah, and he was like, oh, it's coming. I'm just going to go and live in Belize for a while now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> financing is... I'm not attached to it. Yeah, uh, nothing. <laughs> no dirt on my hands. Uh, finance executive Sharon Watkins meets privately with Ken Lay to discuss concerns of murky finance and accounting that could ruin the company. That's the last we hear from her. She might be buried in a desert somewhere, to be honest, at this point. There's nothing more. She's with Hoffa. Yeah, she's definitely... They were like, yeah, you remember where Hoffa's buried? Let's just put her in there as well. Give him some company. Um, Enron announces in October that it's uh, $638 million in uh, third quarter losses and a $1.2 billion reduction in shareholder equity stemming from write-offs related to failed broadband and water trading ventures. That's a shitload of money. Like, yeah. And water and broadband, people fucking needed that, even back in 2001. That's oh, yeah. kind of crazy. Um, it's like the GDP of a small country. Exactly. As uh, unwinding of so-called raptors of fragile entities backed by falling Enron stock created to hedge inflated assets and keep hundreds of millions of dollars in debt off the energy company's books. October of 2001, the Sec- uh, Securities and Exchange Commission launched an inquiry into Enron's finances. Womp, womp. Enron acknowledges <laughs> the SEC inquiry into a possible conflict of interest related to the company's dealings with Fasto's partnerships. Lay says, we will cooperate fully with the SEC and look forward to the opportunity to put any concern about these transactions to rest. And then the SEC takes five seconds to look at their books and like you're all going to prison um you're all kind of fucked lay professes (laughs) confidence in fasto to analysts uh that's on october the 23rd in an interview october the 24th fasto is sacked um yeah that was yeah love that vote of confidence buddy uh november the 5th enron treasurer bill Gilson Jr. and in-house attorney Christina Mordaunt uh, fired for investigating uh, sorry, for investing in Fasto-run partnership. Each invested $5,800 in 2001 and received a $1 million return a week later. 
Holy crap. Give me some of that. I need that. <laughs> yes. Dude. Jesus. I'm happy with my 8% gains a yeah, year. Yeah, forget 8%. That's like thousands of mil. percent. Holy shit. That would have been like if I would have got Dogecoin a little earlier. Oh, God, earlier. could you imagine? Oh, I wish I'd got a slice well, of that. I thought it was a joke. I had, <laughs> I had it at 14 cents a share, oh, and then uh, I dipped out. Oh, no. And then I dipped back in, and then I lost a whole bunch of money. Oh. <laughs> now I'm just holding on to it just in case. You... Fuck yes. Keep holding on to that crypto. <laughs> um so, November 8th, Enron files documents with the SEC revising its financial statements for the previous five years to account for a slight $586 million loss that it didn't think it had. Where, where have you found that from? Oh, we're sorry. Um, Dinergy, which is a weird name, announces an agreement to buy Enron for more than $8 billion in stock. Uh, that's, that's why the fuck are they really? giving... Yeah. What, are, you, are you mad? Wow. That's insane. Who's, <laughs> well, they got a name like Dinergy, is, so yeah. Dinergy, exactly. Is this Ken Lay's wife and her company? Give it fucking hell. Enron, uh, November 19th. Enron restarts, its th- restates its third quarter earnings and discloses $690 million in debt due on November the 27th. So <laughs> a few days later. Oops. Uh, November the 28th, the day after the, the the debt is due, Enron stock plunges below $1 as Dinergy Inc. aborts its plans to buy its former rival. You fucking think? <laughs> Do yeah. not want any rats from Damn. that ship. Thank you very much. December the 2nd, Enron goes bankrupt. Thousands of workers laid off. 2002, January, the Justice Department confirms it's become crim- uh, began criminal investigations. January 10th, the White House discloses Lay sought help from two cabinet members shortly before the company collapsed, but neither offer aid. Um, the company or, company's auditor, Arthur Anderson LLP, says it has destroyed tens of Enron documents. It's tons, literally tons. Sorry. Yes. Why were you shredding the shit out of everything in sight? What's that? Oh, That's my driver's license. Minimalist. <laughs> my god that's my daughter's we've birth. got a downside <laughs> yeah that's my daughter's birth certificate give me that back <laughs> it's gotta go it's all gotta go it's all dirty it's just like Gollum uh, shredding shit <laughs> they haven't seen sunlight in days it, burn it. <laughs> holy shit um, January 23rd Ken Lay resigns as chairman and CEO good uh, January 25th, Bye. Cliff Baxter, former head of Enron's trading unit and later vice president, before his resignation in May 2001, found dead of a self-inflicted, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Yeah, he felt bad about uh, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or did or he? Is, is did he really <laughs> pull the trigger or did somebody else? Uh, somebody Epstein did, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, <coughs> Ken Lay uh, resigns on uh, February the fourth. <laughs> just, just speculation it may not have happened. Uh, it probably did. Ken Lay resigns <laughs> from the board on February the fourth. Uh, February the seventh. Skilling Fasto, Michael Copper appear, and Michael Copper appear at Congress with uh, McMahon and in-house Enron lawyer Jordan Mintz. Skilling testifies. Fasto and Cooper invoke their Fifth Amendment rights. It's like no. 
I didn't do it. I mean, I'm not saying shit. I'm just here to see this, the, the lovely artwork inside. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, Ken Lay on February the 12th. Just before Valentine's Day, a lovely present for him and his wife there. Lay invokes the Fifth Amendment at a Senate hearing after expressing profound sadness at Enron's collapse. I'm so sad, but I'm pleading the Fifth. So fuck you. Yep. Not going to talk no, about it. I'm too sad to talk about it. So pleading the Fifth. <laughs> I'm so sad, I can't talk. So Fifth. Just, just him saying the fifth over and over again. March 14th, former Enron auditor Arthur Anderson, LLP, indicted for destroying Enron-related documents to thwart investigators. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? Whoops. <laughs> oh, I can't shred those? Oh, I wasn't supposed Wait. to be shredding everything. I was supposed to be doing my job. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I guess I'll go to prison now. <laughs> Um, David Duncan, Anderson's former top Enron auditor, pleads guilty to obstruction with ins- uh, for instructing his staff to destroy documents as per company policy. What? What? You're, you're, they didn't put it on paper. No, uh, oh, if they did, they could have shredded exactly. it. Exactly. You're an auditor company. <laughs> Why is your company policy to shred everything? You're supposed to audit yeah. stuff. Fucking hell. And uh, a few weeks later, Anderson is convicted. Uh, August, former top uh, Fasto um, aide Michael Cooper pleads guilty to money laundering and conspiracy. The first Enron executive to strike a deal with prosecutors. He identifies a string of partnerships designed to falsely portray Enron as financially healthy while enriching him, Fasto, and others. Um certainly not Mr. No, there's nothing to do with the Bush family either at all Uh, September the 12th I know September the 12th three former National Westminster Bank bankers indicted for wire fraud for siphoning off millions of dollars in income intended for their employer through investment in a FASTO partnership which is linked to Enron Uh, they're currently fighting extradition Uh, I guess this is this must be Wow, that's what it says, anyway. That's probably happened by now, I'd imagine. Probably. What's tripping me out about yeah. this is that they see it coming, and they still think, okay... I'll be all right. I, this is going to make it look worse, <laughs> but I'm just going to start making myself look horrible, yeah. and maybe it'll get better. Yeah, it's I'm gonna, it's coming. So I, what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to run. I'm going to stay here. They know everything already, but let's just shred stuff as well. You know, yeah, like, let's agitate. Yeah, let's, let's just piss them off. Why don't we like when they come here, go outside and piss on their car? Just, just do that. Just like <laughs> uh, it'll be fine. Nothing bad will happen. Jesus. Right. Um, October former um, top Enron trader Timothy Belden pleads guilty to um, wire fraud for. Uh, participating in schemes to gain California's power markets during the state's energy crisis in 2000 and 2001. You fucking scumbag. Um, By the way, Anderson uh, sentenced to probation and fined $500,000. The firm was already banned from auditing um, public companies and had a few hundred employees left after its conviction. So it had gone from thousands to a few hundred. So probably not great, really. Yeah, and (laughs) <laughs> Not the healthiest of companies anymore. Yeah. Um, October, Fasto indicted on 78 charges of conspiracy, fraud, money laundering, and other counts. November, former mid-level executive Larry Law- Lawyer. His name's Larry Lawyer. That's fucking awesome. Uh, 
<laughs> pleads guilty to filing false tax forms for failing to report as an income nearly $80,000 in gifts copper funneled to him for his work on a shady Fasto transaction. What the fuck are they doing? It leaves a trail everywhere. I need to get better friends. This just I, None of my friends ever give me $80,000 gifts. Know. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> and like, if they did, they'd probably do a better job at hiding it, I think. Oh, yeah, they're not going to just blatantly do it while they're staring at us. <laughs> hey, oh, no, the cops are coming. Quick, hand me your drugs in front Give of me them. all of the drugs, please. <laughs> um, now we're in 2003. Former Enron trader Jeffrey Rick Richter pleads guilty to conspiracy and lying to the FBI for helping to manipulate California's electricity market in 2000. They just they are responsible for the deaths of old people at this point. The fuckers. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yep. Um, there's a load of stuff that goes on. Counts against Fasto increased to 98. Indictment unsealed Damn. against two former Enron broadband finance and accounting executives on charges of faking $111 million in earnings from failed video-on-demand deal with Blockbuster, of all fucking people. They tried to start <laughs> Netflix in 2003 and it didn't work. So, oops. Oops. Uh, David Delaney, a former chief executive of Enron's trading unit, pleads guilty to one count of insider trading, acknowledging he was in on a senior management scheme to manipulate the company's earnings to meet or exceed Wall Street's expectations while selling $4.2 million in stock. That's for himself. Gilson uh, pleads guilty to conspiracy and goes straight to prison for five years, becoming the first former Enron executive behind bars, later begins cooperating with prosecutors smart man anderson fasto pleads guilty to two counts of conspiracy and uh, agrees to serve 10 years in prison after prosecutors no longer need his cooperation <laughs> everyone else has been like please i want time off and he and this guy's like oh wait a minute have i missed the bus yeah 10 years damn club fed for 10 years so close yeah damn i should have been quicker what was i doing oh that's right i'm shredding documents um <laughs> Former top Enron accountant Richard Causey pleads innocent to conspiracy and fraud charges for allegedly being a principal architect of the widespread schemes to mislead investigators in the scandal-ridden energy company. Uh, Skilling added to Causey indictment pleads innocent to more than 30 counts, including conspiracy and fraud and insider trading, including uh, expanded to push counts against Causey past 30 as well. Um, His wife... Leah Fasto pleads guilty to a reduced charge of filing a false tax form, a misdemeanor, sneaky, uh, and is sentenced to a maximum sentence of one year in prison. So he got his wife I in on the so. crime Unless time. that's him, unless that's a misspelling. But anyway, someone got a year for an incorrect tax form. Yeah, which sounds yeah. like a bit of a let off really uh, May former Enron corporate secretary Paula Riker pleads guilty to one count of insider trading for selling stock in July 5th knowing Enron's broadband unit lost money uh, more money sorry than publicly claimed um, July 7th a sealed indictment against K uh, Lay is handed it in uh, July 8th, Lay surrenders to the FBI. Indictment is uh, unsealed, accusing him of participating in his conspiracy to manipulate Enron's quarterly financial results, making false and misleading public statements about the company's financial performance, omitting facts necessary to making financial statements accurate and fair. Lay pleads innocent, because of course he fucking did. Because uh, he's got 
giant big balls. He's got big balls. He's got a doctorate. <laughs> he's friends with Borsches. Uh, yeah, he's he's probably going to be fine. Nothing's bad's going to happen to him. Uh, July U.S. bankruptcy or Judge Arthur Gonzalez confirms Enron's reorganization plan, in which most creditors will receive about one fifth of the approximately sixty-three million they're owed in cash and stock. Um, I'm just going to skip a load of this. There's there's just like prison, prison, prison. Uh, I'll just get to the good Ken Lay stuff. Where is it? Uh, there we go. 2005. Fucking hell. Um, a federal judge schedules the Lay, Skilling, and Causey trial for January uh, 17th, 2006. So in 2006, Lay and Skilling's trials begin. Uh, in May, Lay and Skilling are convicted of conspiracy to commit securities and wire fraud. July 5th, Ken Lay dies of a heart attack in Aspen, Colorado at the age of 64. Police were summoned to Ken Lay's home in Old Snowmass, Colorado, shortly after 1am. Um, he was pronounced dead at, at Aspen Valley Hospital at 3.11am. And here's the kicker. Well? Yeah. He, uh, a federal judge rules that Ken Lay's death vacates his conviction of fraud and conspiracy charges, making it more difficult for the government to seek the $43.5 million they were going to get from Ken Lay's estate. He died, but his estate kept the fucking money. Unbelievable. Wow. This is my favorite. Right, so Ken Lay died. They say it was coronary, right? That was the reason for the death. Mm -hmm. And you can understand someone 61, that kind of stress, that would kill someone, you know? Good, There's yeah. a lot of people dying here, aren't there? Now, yes. I'm not suggesting yes. a conspiracy, but given that Enron was like conspiracy central anyway, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And also, he's connected, so maybe... The, the, definitely the circles there yeah. that they're running There's in. There's a lot of overlaps that around. aren't there. It's... A lot of people die. Isn't it weird <laughs> how people that have got powerful friends that may be involved in some shady dealings end up dying before they're really given a chance to talk? Weird, isn't it? It's a hell of a lot of coincidences. Yeah, there's a lot of coincidences there. Um, so, what were you going to say? Sorry. But did he die? Ah. Did he, did he go the way of Elvis? Did he like, get someone else's uh, face his death. over his face and walk yeah. out? <laughs> it's like, because like, the estate still got the money. So, Ken right. Lay's family have $43 million of ill-gotten gains. And it's probably, I mean, right. the value of that will have skyrocketed since then. Since 2006. Well, and all, all the the bullshit they were doing with that company there too, led to a whole domino yep. effect on Wall Street with yep. the banks and the big banks failing and the housing market crashing. Absolutely. So they messed up the possibly the world's financial and, markets as well. You know. Oh yeah, I mean it kind of opened the curtain a little bit yep. so you could look behind and all of a sudden. Fucking everybody was yeah. doing it. All the banks, uh, what, all of the weird... All yeah. of the crazy shit. And also one thing I had, I, I had to cut down for time. Um, Merrill Lynch were elbow deep in this shit. So the, all sorts yeah. of Merrill Lynch people go into prison for this as well. So like you said, I mean, obviously the financial crash in 2008, anyone who was around about that time will remember it distinctly because things changed overnight. They really did. Um, but this is kind of ground zero for that. 
shit, you know. All yes. of the stuff that came after that, all the banking and the housing and fucking Iceland and Greece and all of these different markets falling apart. Enron was the first big one, but this is my favorite part of the whole thing, the last paragraph I've got here. Enron's 63.4 billion dollars in assets made it the largest corporate bankruptcy in US history. dot 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 until the WorldCom scandal the following year. That's fucking insane. You had yeah, an Enron every back, year. Just... <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it was a uh, hell of a time. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Those days. <laughs> yeah. No one had any money yeah, because of some fucking idiot from Texas. Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, and then they messed around with energy. Yep. They messed around with the financial oh, markets. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was orchestrated by this Ken Lee Lay. Ken Lee Lay, which is just an awesome <laughs> name. I mean, the, the thing is, he's a part of it. He's a massive cog in the machine that was the, the overriding fraud of Enron. The question I have, because unlike you pointed out, this is the starting point for so many financial problems and issues and disasters that we're still kind of feeling the after effects of to this day you know obviously people have there have been recoveries and and other recessions as well but the 2008 financial crash crash which i think is the worst financial crisis in human history um is still we're still feeling the effects now and it fundament and like you said it fundamentally changed a lot of things new regulations came in as a result of the enron bullshit and you know a lot of like a lot of financial stuff has never gone back to the old ways. You know, credit card and loans and mortgages and shit, it is completely fundamentally changed because of the financial crisis, which started, I mean, obviously it was going to happen eventually anyway, but the big one that broke it all was Enron. And Ken Lay as CEO and chairman for so many years, dude is front and center of that. So... He's the big domino that tripped, or maybe he's the stick that the, they tripped over and hit the dominoes. Yeah, he's the shit-covered stick that started it all. He gets a bunch of extra points just for the giant balls of playing yeah. innocent and uh, being well enough connected to let his family keep the money uh, That's afterwards. fucking insane, isn't it? 40, and like, we talk about the financial crisis, and like, I'm sure a lot of that money was tied up in like Wall Street and... I don't know, housing or whatever the fuck people invest their money in, they'll still be multi, multi, many times over millionaires, even if they were hit by 50% of that. It's still, it's so fucking mad that, and this is the point of Ken Lay, he's not a traditional idiot because the guy has a PhD, a a philosophy of economics, right? He's highly qualified, incredibly well connected, and he's still fucked up to the point where the world changed, which is amazing. Yep. You know? And I think that almost makes me feel like he meant to do it. Yes. The fact that he was so educated on economics and knowing he knew what he I was know. doing and he still did it's it. It's crazy. So, I yeah, extra points for that yeah, too. Yeah, for being possibly a psychopath and like, ah, it's like a Bond yeah. villain. Almost like, I'm going to fuck the world yep. over and then I'm going to die of a heart attack <laughs> in Aspen. You know, what the hell? He went, he went to Mars, man. Yeah, that's what it is. He, he faked his he death took that money. and he dipped. He, maybe he was a lizard people. Oh, he's okay, a lizard but, person. Uh, <laughs> we found another one. Him and Elizabeth Holmes. He took the money and took off. <laughs> yeah. Hey, weren't they friends? Oh, my God, were they? Oh. I think she was connected with That's right. She was Enron. connected with Enron. 
<laughs> Fuck. See? Lizard people. <laughs> uh, so there we um, go. Holy shit. I have to ask, what do you make of Ken Lay, Enron, and all of that? Just Yeah, I'm I'm going just on the non traditional asshole oh, idiot yeah. side of things. He he's a big yeah. one. I'm I'm going eighty. Yeah. He's definitely a <laughs> A B. He's he's a solid uh, B candidate, isn't he? Because like, and he's yeah. another person where you like, you look at his life up to a certain point, and you're like, actually, this dude could have been anything, could have been president. Right. Who knows? He could have been head of the world World Trade Organization, World World Bank. He could have been anything he wanted. He just wanted money while lying, you know. Right? Had he used his talents for good, yeah. he could have changed the world. Epically, the exactly. Other way. We could have been living in a golden age thanks to Kenley Lay. You know, we could have been. Yeah. There would have been golden statues of Kenley Lay up and down this country, possibly outside of an Aspen Medical Center where he wouldn't have died of a heart attack. Right. Well, we can't have golden statues anywhere here. The tweakers <laughs> will take down the lights to get the copper out, so we can't have statues. <laughs> <The copper. laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, even in Aspen, there's, like, tweakers like, in snow <laughs> snow gear. She's, like, walking along. I've got to get a snow statue. pass. <laughs> got to get got to get on the lift. Got to get up to the top of the slope. Uh, I need my fix. <laughs> oh, my God. Um Brings a whole new new uh, thing to powder there. <laughs> yeah, they're addicted to powder. <laughs> I gotta get it, man. I got I got the board itch. I've got to get up there. <laughs> they're twitching. Uh, the officers on the, the the they're at the they're at the Ken Lay statue again. They're they're they're, twe- they're, they're tweaking. They're they're fucking going. For, they're rattling like hell. Can we get someone around to get the snowboarders help, please? <laughs> Amazing. The Betty Ford uh, clinic's just full of like rich people that just want to go snowboarding. Uh, <laughs> So, um, Kenley Lay gets an 80, and uh, Terry Cole of Liverpool, the worst bank robber in human history, gets a 75. Really good, solid week for um, kind of low-level idiot and then world-changing idiot at the same time. Yes. Kind of like those. Yes. Um, Bit of a change from action stars shitting their pants and... uh, (laughs) And presidents <laughs> making themselves emperor for life and shit like that, but uh, yeah. yeah, I I don't know. I like the action stars. Yeah, I like that, I like the action stars that get choked smile. out by ancient judo guys and shit their pants. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. That's our show for this week, Derek. What did you make of researching and writing all of this uh, amazing oh. stuff about Terry Cole and hearing about Ken Lay? Holy shit. I had a really good time with it, and I learned some some new uh, magazines that you have over yeah. there, Echo and and whatnot. Yeah. I, I don't know. You, you wander across in research different things that you wouldn't mm. uh, in your country normal. Like in the course of sure. a day, I'm not going to wander onto any major outside of BBC. Sure. Yeah. But there was some good stories and some decent writing on there too. Yeah. So. I might use them to find more news. I know. Ideas. Ironically, um, a lot of our best journalism in this country is done outside of the mainstream outlets. I mean, the BBC are pretty good for the most part, but like anything, some of the newspapers are still okay, like The Guardian and The Independent's not too bad, but pretty much anything that's a red top, which is the, the kind of the broadsheets, the... the real shit muck spreaders uh, in this country. They're pretty bad. <laughs> but there are some really, really good journalists doing work in this country. And uh, it's the same in the States as well. All of that information I got was from NPR. 
So God bless uh, nice. NPR. They are fucking amazing. Um, yeah. And very accurate, although they did, you know, I'm a proofreader. I found a couple of spelling mistakes. So uh, do better, NPR. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, so that's our show for this week. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And um, just remember, if you are feeling like you want to rob a, ba- a bank or a building society, why the fuck would you rob a building society with a hairbrush <laughs> or a fucking spit fork or whatever the hell that bullshit was? <laughs> or if you've got your masters in a philosophy of economics, but decide that ending the world's economic structures as we see it is a good way forward, please don't do it. Resist the urge. Um, if if Ken Lay and Terry Cole had switched places, I actually think they would have been more successful, to be honest. I think Enron would have made money and Ken Lay would have become the world's richest bank robber, potentially. That could be a yeah. thing. That would have been a nice switcheroo. Hey. Um, <laughs> so that's our show for this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, to ple- uh, goodbye, please? Goodbye, please. I mean, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> thanks man and we will see you uh, next episode take care now